I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. This tennis off-season is going on forever, isn't it? Well, the good news is that there is a tennis fix to enjoy before Christmas. It all happens at the Royal Albert Hall from the 5th of December when the Statoil Masters Tennis gets underway. We have the second part of our interview with one of its stars today. It's Mats Velander, right here on the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. Just listen to that. Yep, silence. No one arguing with me, no one telling me my tennis predictions are wrong when, well, when they're wrong. No one banging on about Reading Football Club when I really know you want to hear about West Bromwich Albion. Yes, episode 22 of the Tennis Podcast is notable because Catherine Whitaker, for the first time, isn't here. It's not the same though, is it? I know you're about to press stop on your iPhones and your iPads and your iPods, aren't you? Well, don't. No, not because of me, but because Mats Verlander, seven-time Grand Slam champion, former world number one, he's coming up. You don't want to miss that. For those of you that are wondering where Catherine is, well, last week her voice just about survived, but this week the Lurgy has well and truly rendered her speechless. She'll be back next week, though, to preview the Statoil Masters Tennis, which begins on Wednesday the 5th of December, and we'll feature a John McEnroe special in that, hearing from a couple of people who know him better than most and have known him throughout his career, and we'll hear from the great man himself. But first, part two of our interview with Mats Verlander. Last week he told us what it was like to follow in the footsteps of Bjorn Borg to feel almost unbeatable in the year that he won those three Grand Slam titles in 1988 and what it was like to lead the press conference in the car park which signalled the start of the ATP World Tour as we know it today. This week he tells us who his greatest rival was, he picks two of them actually, He also talks about what he's looking for when he commentates on television for Eurosport and whether he really meant it when he was once quoted as saying that the Olympic Games were just another stamp in his passport. Yeah, it's the way I felt um, in in the 80s when I was was allowed to play in Seoul, Korea. And, and, you know, we have four majors every year. And those four majors, they're bigger than the Olympics. You know, they're still bigger than the Olympics for the tennis player himself. Um, For the tennis player who's going to finish one day and retire back in in his home country, um, trying to live a normal life, winning the Olympics is most probably bigger than when you're 50, 60 years old to have the Olympic medal. 
thinking, knowing that you also have a Wimbledon or a French Open or a couple of other majors. Do you know that's important? I think there are so many other sports that don't have this, uh, um, they don't have the events that we have, Wimbledon, French Open. And to take focus away from them, for me in the 80s, was completely wrong. I didn't need the Olympics. No one was playing the Olympics. I think today, I think the Olympics is, a, is just a great tool um, politically around the world and for tennis to not be part of the greatest neutral political movement in the world would be a shame and it would look strange to the sport of tennis because it's an individual sport and because we have players from China, Switzerland, Spain, South America, uh, Eastern Europe, from Russia, I mean it's really important that tennis is part of the political movement where, um, where we're promoting um, uh, human relationship and human rights around the world and the Olympics I think is the, is the greatest platform for that I want to take you back to what you were saying about the 80s and how many great players there were during that era can you single out one of those players as your greatest rival? I think that my greatest rival was Ivan Lendl um, and John McEnroe and I think John McEnroe, uh, the reason why it's him is because he was the guy who, who pushed uh, Bjorn Borg off the throne. Um, I felt that he, he, uh, we played similar matches tactically that, that him and Bjorn played. I know there were big matches for me, and I also know that for John, uh, the matches against me were nowhere close as important to him as the ones he played against Bjorn Borg. Uh, Ivan Lendl, on the other hand, I think the matches that Ivan Lendl played against me were some of the most important matches that he played in his career um, because he felt that he can beat me he also felt that he can lose to me but he also knew that physically it was a very demanding match to play against me and mentally it was very demanding for him and for me to play against one another um, so I think we both I have a feeling that we both looked forward to our matches uh, with uh, uh, I can't wait to get out there and beat, uh, beat his brains in at the same time as we both also knew that oh my god this is going to be another 4 or 5 hour physically, emotionally mentally draining match I know I have a chance and that's the greatest feeling in the world as a tennis player to go into a match knowing you have a chance to win and knowing you have chances to control the match and that was the case against Ivan most of the time he came out on top but uh, it was a challenge that was achievable for both of us I think in terms of uh, performance in tennis, I would say that winning the U.S. Open in 1988, uh, playing for the number one ranking in the world for me, um, be, if I beat him on Lendl in the finals, I had lost him in the finals of the French Open the previous year, lost him in the U.S. Open the previous year, and then suddenly I was coming in, uh, not ranked as number two, but I won two majors, felt like the best player in the world in 88, and uh, Lendl, of course, was his eighth U.S. Open final in a row. So he was playing to hold on to the number one ranking, which I try to do, and it's not as much fun as trying to take it from somebody. So to me, it was the biggest match of my life. Uh, no Swede had won the US Open before. Borg had, had failed to win it, or he's reached the finals three times, I think. So that was a huge match. But I, it's more for me, it's not one memory. I think what's for me, it's important is that I, I feel like I have the respect um, of the media, I have the respect of, of, of the crowd, um, I have respect uh, of the other players, I'm good friends with the media, I'm good friends with tournament directors, I, I have good relationships, I'm able to, to speak my mind and be honest about what I think of tennis today, what I think of tennis back then, I think that's, the, that's really what, um, what is my um, greatest moment, is, is that respect and, and mutual respect.
another thing that John McEnroe's gone on the record as saying is that doing TV commentary has allowed him to show a side of himself that he didn't think people had seen before. Mm-hmm. Do you feel the same way about your work with Eurosport? I do, yeah. I think it's, uh, for me it's fun. I, I see it. I show a, a side to myself that I haven't seen before you know I didn't realize that I was so keen on talking that much and I didn't realize that I was keen to have my uh, opinions out there in the open I was I didn't realize that I was confident enough to actually state an opinion and knowing that there's a good chance that I'm wrong but uh, I'm willing to take the I'm willing to take the criticism I'm willing to take uh, um, the credit or the criticism I don't really care so it's just something that I really enjoy I love watching tennis when you're involved somehow when you're involved and you can speak your mind I think both me and John McEnroe and, and all the other Jim Courier who do, does commentate, I think all we want to see is the greatest tennis match of all time. You know, I don't care if it's Nadal winning or Federer winning or Djokovic winning or Andy Murray winning. It doesn't matter. I just, I'm, I'm hoping for a certain player to win on a certain surface because I know that Roger Federer beating Rafa Nadal in the French Open final, if that ever happens, that is most probably the greatest tennis match you will ever see. I doubt we will see it, but we might. And Andy Murray winning Wimbledon, beating Federer or Djokovic or Nadal in the finals, would be most probably the greatest tennis match of all time. That's what I am looking for. Just final question then, you've touched upon a little bit there. Um, when you're commentating and say you, you, your gut instinct or what you're feeling is, say to criticise Roger Federer, for example, not mm-hmm. anything to criticise him for, but just for an example, is it ever on your mind that, God, this guy's got, you know, however many millions of fans, and is it ever on your mind what the sort of popular reaction will be, what the no. potential backlash is? No, it isn't. I'm not criticising, um, if I ever do criticising or, or, or credit, I don't, if I give credit to somebody, it's usually about their character. It's not about the tennis game, because the tennis game is, is good one day, it's bad one day. There's a lot of great tennis players around, and I would, be, I would give them credit for their, for their fighting spirit. The only time I'm critical is not of the person himself. It's, it's the package that is presented in front of me on the tennis court, and it's somebody who's not trying, then I can be criticizing, that I can be critical of that. It's somebody who's not playing smart today, he should be playing, he should try something different. I have to, even though maybe that player is not able to do it the way I think he should be doing, and he's not, maybe not willing to try it, and he might not be thinking that I have to be able to say and put it out there that this would be another way of being able to play this person and uh, if he's not winning he should be trying it and I think that's it's, it's, it's my right and it's it's, um, it's it's not only my right it's um, what do you call it I need to do that you know this is what I this is what I that's why I'm here I, am, I have won seven majors I know the game as well as anybody else in, in the world I'm not right every time and I'm certainly not wrong every time nor is Mac you know? but we have an opinion that I think is right because I did it my way so why not try my way you know and, uh, and uh, I think that if you show to the other player the only thing you worry about is, is that the, the other players the Federers and the Nadals is that they take offense to it so I guess in a way you have to be a little bit more careful because I am doing interviews and stuff with them but at the same time I am showing up at all the majors I'm working all day and I think they see the tennis passion come through in players like me and McEnroe and Jim Curry. We're not doing it for our own recognition. I'm doing it for the, for the, for the good of the sport and I love tennis. That's Landa, thank you very much. Thanks, Catherine. 
Well, there you go, Catherine fans. You did hear from her after all. There's one bloke in particular who'll have been pleased, and that's a fella called Paul B82, who left a glowing review for the podcast on iTunes recently. It included a marriage proposal for Catherine. Anyway, we'll be back next week on the eve of the Stator Masters Tennis at the Royal Albert Hall. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.